You'll all join me in prayer. Almighty Father, we're so grateful we can come at this time, a double Sabbath, a time that you have established from ancient times to keep a day that has so much significance, so much to teach us about you, about your ways, and about the coming kingdom. We're so grateful that we can delve into your word and have some understanding of these things. We pray that you will be with us and, and guide our hearts and our thoughts. We would understand your word better. That we would leave this place having grown spiritually through the message that you have for us in your word. So we pray that you'll be with us now. And we thank you for these days that you have given us, these special days that the world needs to know about, that we might be able to teach them that they honor you in all things. So we pray now in Yahshua's name. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Well, I guess we, uh, as you heard, we had uh, confirmation of the uh, new moon. I think, what, 25? I don't know if, uh, I don't know if uh, Lucas found any more. 27, okay, from across the country. Uh, don't be alarmed by the title, by the way. Actually, it's kind of meant that way because if you look at trumpets, it's, it's an alarm, you know. But just don't throw any uh, rotten tomatoes at me. We'll explain. You know, the seventh biblical month is very significant and far-reaching for a number of key reasons. And it's one of the most significant days that Yahweh has established for us. And all of the seven yearly feasts reveal aspects of Yahweh's salvation plan. If you have no clue about them, you're missing something. If you don't study them, you're missing a lot. But these final four annual Moedim are prophetic keys as well, unveiling the essential facts about Yahshua's return and the coming kingdom, which is rarely talked about here today uh, from uh, pulpits, but it's one of the most essential teachings in scripture. The thread lies that ties everything together is the harvest cycles, a metaphor that runs throughout the whole scripture, from planting to growing to reaping. The seventh month is the beginning of that general harvest, which has implications for harvest of the saints from the earth when Yahshua returns. The metaphor is it's just solid and very uh, significant. Yahweh told Moses in Exodus seven sixteen, and you shall say unto Pharaoh, Yahweh Elohim of the Hebrews has sent me unto you, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. Now, why did it just stay there? Why didn't they just keep the feast there? Those who don't grasp the, the profound agricultural connection here, you know, the coming out of the world to keep his feasts, miss the very core of Yahweh's plan. That plan began when Yahshua, I should say when Yahweh, well, actually Yahweh of the Old Testament, said, get out of Egypt, get out. Go to the wilderness, Make sacrifices of agriculture, crops, animals. You know, it's natural to drift away from Yahweh through time. We get involved in our world as much as we hate to. We have to get involved to a certain extent. You have to live in the world. You don't have to become part of the world. 
the Bible tells us. But the same can happen with Almighty Yahweh. It's no wonder that Yahweh requires periodic feast days throughout the year, the seven annual feast days. It's no wonder, when you think about it, that he wants us to return to him, to seek his face. We humans are very good at forgetting. We need to have regular close exposure to him. And we get that not just on the weekly Sabbath, but on the special feast day. I bought a rechargeable flashlight the other day, and it sat around unused for a few months. And then I went to use it. I had used it a couple times. went to use it again. Nothing. Nothing. No matter what I did, tapping it, pressing the on-off switch about a dozen times, like, what's wrong with this thing? It was certifiably dead. So I plugged it back in, and in no time it powered on. You know, we're like flashlights. We've got to be powered on. We've got to be plugged in. We need a recharge, and you only get that at special recharge at Yahweh's feast. Did you know if you shoot a flashlight into the night sky, that beam will travel forever? It, it keep on going into space forever, that light that you create. The light we reflect, whether uh, powerful, weak, or even uh, in non-existent, is going to impact our lives for an eternity. What we do here now is going to have far, never-ending reaches. If we take a lackadaisical, lackadaisical approach to our faith, we're going to expect low-impact results. The nearsighted don't see past this world. This is all the life they seem to want. Even when an eternity exists within their grasp, if they'd only follow, if they'd only follow Yahweh, submit to him. Where are we putting our, our life's investment? You know, it's, is a zero return rate on our lives really what we want? Or do you want to live for him and give up a life of this temporary world and live for him? One of the reasons we keep the feast is so that our, our lives stay conformed and we grow in Yahweh's word, his ways and his will. And they're and eventually our spiritual lives will fall apart if we neglect him and we see it happening all the time. People fall away. They don't have regular communication with him and the fellowship that you need with his people. We need that periodic close reunion with him and his people. That's important too, to be strong in faith. It's kind of like we tell people, you know, you, you're out there by yourself and that, you know, sometimes you can't help that. But when you got a chance to come to his feast and join the brethren, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing it? You can, you can sit there you know, and try to figure out things in the Bible and you come up with maybe some strange doctrine. But if you come to the feast, you can talk to somebody else. Say, oh, oh, yeah, you know, I thought that too, but guess what? It contradicts this. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. When you're out there by yourself, you can get all twisted up real easily. We need that closeness. We need that confirmation that we're on the right track. They're not just important for strengthening and growing in our walk, but the feasts offer greater, much greater benefits and impact. First and foremost, we keep them because he says so. We don't have to have any other reason. You know, I remember when early on when uh, we had an article in one of the magazines about eating clean and unclean. And the writer wrote, 
he says, you know, you can make up all sorts of reasons, you know, that, uh, you know, pig have, have bad things in them and all of this, you know, trichinosis and all that. But the main thing is that Yahweh says don't eat it. That's the reason I don't eat it. I don't have to have other reasons. If he says do it, we do it. You know, that settles it. And no call to gather quite matches what we find at the Feast of Trumpets. When that trumpet sounds, even the heart of hearing will probably hear it. And in Israel, the trumpet sounded all day long at this feast. It's a, it's a feast of blowing trumpets basically all day long. And then Israel would heed. In Israel, the trumpet sounded at the Feast of Trumpets. If you ignored those blasts that you hear on that day, you faced serious consequences. When Yahweh raises a trumpet through his people, you had to respond. You had no other choice. If you sat in your tent, guess what? You're going to reap the consequences. If you don't come to the call, you reap the consequences. The same thing happens today. With this background, we come to the sense of urgency of, of Yahweh's feast days. And nothing like a trumpet blast kind of wakes you up and gets you thinking again about Yahweh's days. And that's why the four major feasts come in this last month. We come to the urgency of Yahweh. It's his dynamic calling. Everything we do as believers, whether we don't do it or do it, has implications for the here and now and, more importantly, for our future. You know, we, we have a truth that's a, given to us as a trust. Yahweh gives us, as Yahshua explained, you know, in his parable of the, uh, of the, uh, the gifts he gives, the... Uh, each person was given a certain amount and then said, okay, what are you going to do with it, you know? And uh, some gave back, some made it grow. He does the same thing with us when he gives us his truth. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Yahweh showed Moses in Numbers 10 the way to get the Israelites to respond, to gather around. It was the trumpet blast. It was, the, it was Yahweh's way to bring Yahweh's people together and how... Yahshua was going to return significantly with the trumpet blast. The blast is going to go out over the, around the world. People are going to look up and see him coming with ten thousands of his angels. Bright light. It'll be something else. Something else. Well, let's see how key events in scripture were heralded by the trumpet. The Torah was given to Israel with the sound of the shofar in Exodus 19.19. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to review these. See how important the trumpet figured into Yahweh's plan. The return of the Messiah, as we mentioned, will be accompanied by the sound of the shofar in Zechariah 9. The shofar will be blown when the exiles of Israel are gathered. The shofar was blown to call Israelites to war, to gather to war, Judges 3.27. Israel was victorious over Jericho, you know, with the blast of the trumpet and the walls fell down, fell flat. I'm thinking the, the walls just went straight down because if they just kind of tumbled over, then they had to go climb over these big big stones to attack the city. But if they just go right straight down, well, that'd be very miraculous. And they could attack the city a lot easier. The shofar was used in the coronation of kings, 1 Kings 1, 34 and 39. The watchman who stood on Jerusalem's walls blew the trumpet to announce whatever. 
for a warning against an attack, for one thing. It was blown at the start of the Jubilee year, every 50 years. The trumpet was blown. Leviticus 25.9. The shofar blast announced the beginning of the annual feast, of course, Numbers 10.10. And it was also a call to repentance in Isaiah 58.1. The blowing of the shofar ushers in the day of Yahweh in Joel 2, verse 1. It sounded at the resurrection of the dead, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. John heard a trumpet voice in Revelation 8.9. Uh, 4.1, I should say. The seven sulfurim are sounded when Yahweh judges the earth in uh, Revelation 8.9. The shofar is a reminder that Yahweh is sovereign. He speaks like the sound of a trumpet. When Israel was gathered at Sinai and he spoke and the earth shook, it sounded like thunder, sounded like, you know, a blast. They, uh, they were shaking in their sandals. The ram's horn, the shofar, was a reminder of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac and Yahweh, how he provided a ram in the thicket to take its place for sacrifice, Genesis 22. Well, there's two kinds of trumpets used in scripture. There's the silver one, the metal one, and then there's, of course, the shofar. Both of them were used in different ways. Here are the instructions for the silver trumpet in Numbers 10. Make two trumpets of silver of a whole piece shall you make them. Can't have pieces stuck together. It had to be a whole piece. You shall make, uh, use them for the calling of the assembly. That's number one, to announce the assembly. Come, come together, and for the journeying of the camps. This camp got this toot, this camp got that toot, and then they all went out together. And when uh, Israel left Egypt, they went out, like, what does it say, kind of like harnessed? Like a military. I mean, you've got two and a half to three and a half million people leaving, going together. You had to have some kind of organization. You just, big old crowd just heading out, you know, people tripping over each other, and Cows in the way, and uh, everything had to be organized and in ranks. Keeping feasts in highly populated resort areas, which some do, uh, we hear about them, it really runs counter to the spirit of coming out of the world, doesn't it? It's like Starbucks in the vestibule. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, it clashes. The two atmospheres don't go together. We don't bring the world into us. We come out of the world. If you ever investigated, let alone kept the seven annual Moedim, then you're, you've got the keys, really, to salvation. If you don't, you're missing it. Yahweh's salvation plan is characterized by, as I said, sowing and reaping. That runs through the entire Bible. That's the key to his feasts. It's not astronomical. It's not Moses didn't sit there with a big telescope. And David didn't have one when he was out and, you know, tending the sheep. He could look up at the sky. He could see the new moon. He could look to the barley. And he knows this is the beginning of months. It wasn't complicated. Israel were agricultural people. That's how we do it today. It's the only way we know how to do it. Yahweh's salvation plan is... Spelled out by the agricultural plan. You know, farmers, some farmers plant by the uh, full moon. 
And they attest to it. They say it works. I don't know. I never tried it, but uh, that's, that's what they do. From planting to fertilizing and growing to the reaping of first fruits and the general harvest, these are the metaphors Yahweh uses for his feast days. It's all very much in agriculture. The three set times for feasts, the harvest times, the early, the middle, the light later, which we're into now, are depicting the harvest by the harvest of barley, by the harvest of wheat, and by the general harvest. And if you look at our garden right now, you'd know that uh, we're pretty much done. Harvest has been done. People say, well, you shouldn't keep the feast in the summertime. Wait a minute. This is the harvest time. Summer has nothing to do with it. The word is moed, and it means appointed time. Seasons has nothing to do with it. That's a sad translation in Deuteronomy where it says, you know, keep the, well, I should say in Genesis 114, you know, the famous verse, the the apply all verse to everything. Uh, Well, let's read it. Because this is used for so many different things. And it doesn't doesn't, uh, attest to any one of them. It's a general. 114 of Genesis says, uh, And Elohim said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So people say, okay, we look to the stars and we can establish the feast days. Seasons ain't the word. Seasons is appointed times, moed. It doesn't, it, has no, it doesn't figure into Yahweh's feast days. People are off on that. They don't understand it. And if they would, they would realize. And I remember one, uh, one elder, I was telling somebody here, one elder was approached. He said, uh, what do you do about the 13th month? You know, because you're calculating a calendar. It doesn't always work out right. You end up, you know, every 19-year time cycle, you got an extra month. He says, I don't do anything with it. I just go by the, by the barley crop, and I'm right in tune. It works out every year, no problem. But when you get into manufacturing your own worship, then you got problems because then you have conflicts. Then you have things that don't work right. You know, like that lunar Sabbath idea, you know, where you end up at the end of the month with two or three extra days. What do we do with them? Because we started, you know, we didn't start at the start. We started partway into it because we're going by the moon to establish the week, which <laughs> the Bible doesn't do. So what do you do with it? Well, some say, well, you have those extra three days or four days. We just ignore them. Another one says, oh, we just keep them as a Sabbath too. Where is that in the scripture? When you start fooling around, nothing makes sense. And the biggest problem is how do you count to Pentecost? You have to have seven complete weeks, not partial weeks. Seven complete weeks plus one makes 50, and that's Pentecost. It doesn't work. It doesn't work with that crazy lunar Sabbath idea. But... That's how it goes. Keeping feasts in a highly populated resort area uh, where, you know, the worldly temperament runs counter to the spirit of Yahweh is like, as I said, Starbucks in the vestibule. The two atmospheres don't go together. The seventh month comes at the time of the general harvest, and it begins with the Feast of Trumpets, with the Feast of Trumpets. The Jews have several names. They call this Moed or appointed time, the Rosh Hashanah, we hear that a lot, which is, in Hebrew means head of the year. It's not the beginning of the year, but that's their civil year. I don't get into that, but that's not the biblical year beginning. 
the true biblical year begins at the other end of the year. Uh, then you have the Rome, uh, Yom Teruah, the day of the awakening blast, the horn, the sounding of the trumpet. You got Yom Hadin, judgment day. That one fits, doesn't it? That's what's going to happen when the final trumpet blows. The coming judgment of mankind. And then Yom HaZikaron, the day of remembrance. So implicit is the purpose of awakening us from our slumber. It's been a while. Pentecost was a few, few months back. We've been kind of rolling along, you know. And, and uh, finally, Yahweh says, wake up. we got another feast coming. So man is habit-centric. Whatever he's grown accustomed to, he sticks with. And it's hard to break him loose of that. It's really hard once it sticks. His tradition becomes absorbs into his DNA, and he defends it to the death many times. If he is constantly out in the world, he gets used to the world. The world becomes a part of him and his thinking and his action. If he's close to the scriptures, the Bible is going to be reflected in his constitution. When brethren spend a week together at a feast, they're inspired, they're spiritually energized, they become on fire. When they realize when it's over, when they have to go, they see the contrast with the world. I always remember this, my first feast, my sister and I flew out, all the way from out west, all the way to eastern, east coast, and anyway, of course, we had to stop in Chicago, you always stop in Chicago, switching planes, and I remember getting off the plane coming back in Chicago, and it's like almost automatically I wanted to hug everybody. It was kind of weird. I thought, oh, you know, hi, you know. I realized, you know, Dorothy, you're not in Kansas anymore. You know, this is, this is the world. It's just kind of a shock because we're so used to I'd never experienced anything like that. In the church, we never did stuff like that. We didn't come together and greet everybody every day, hug them, and have a good time together. You know, living Yahweh's word together, it was so different. And so that's something that you're, you're going to experience if you've never been to a feast before. It's like tabernacles. That, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's such a great time. It really is. So when they spend a week together, they become energized, on fire. The spirit works through them. And this energy is unlike anything they've ever experienced but in time, like when Moses came off Mount Sinai and the fading glory in his face originally shone, now kind of faded. He got back into the problems of Israel. I can't imagine what he went through. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Can you imagine trying to solve the problems of a couple million people coming to you every day with their problems? He finally had to get some help. <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, that, that, that great time he had with Yahweh exclusively with Yahweh, and the problems were back there, and he was there with Yahweh, that glow, that glory, that kind of glory faded. Time for a recharge, time for another feast. Yahweh knows the nature of man, and nothing shakes you loose from complacency like the trumpet blast. There's a certain type of thunder, you know, that sometimes you hear after a storm, especially here in the Midwest. My wife is from... Pennsylvania. She says, whoa, I moved to Kansas. I learned what a thunderstorm really was. She, she actually crawled under the bed one time. <laughs> I mean, when it, when it blew, it blew. And she says, oh, in Pennsylvania, it's like, boom, boom, boom. 
So anyway, there's a, but there's a blast of, of Yahweh's trumpet. And there's a, like, like that end of the thunderstorm. You hear this crack and you hear it go all the way across the horizon. It's not just a rumble, but a sharp crack. And I believe that's something how Yahweh probably spoke when he was on Mount Sinai. You get that close to something that powerful, and I mean, you, you, you're shaken. Magnified a million times. And when he spoke, they said, Moses, you go. I, I, we're not going to go near that mountain there. It quaked. The sky was filled with deafening blasts, and the fear of Yahweh became real. A few days ago, Margie and I got out of the car. We got home from town, and a bolt of lightning hit. I think it hit the water tower over here. I mean, we're, we're not that far away. And this thing cracked, and boom! I mean, immediately you saw the lightning, and boom! And instantaneously, kaboom, I could feel static electricity. And along with that, the smell of ozone. I said, you know, we're close to this thing. How frightening. What power. Imagine Yahweh on the mountain, shaking the mountain with his power. You know, did you hear about the poor woman who kept losing her husbands to lightning strikes? She solved it when she married a conductor. Um, Fast forward now many centuries. You know, Jerusalem had been destroyed. Israel had been taken captive into Babylon for 70 years. Now they're freed by the Persians to go back to Jerusalem, rebuild the wall. Oh, man, was that was, must have been exciting. All those years, 70 years in captivity. Now Cyrus lets them go when he conquers Babylon. Enter Nehemiah, the cupbearer, in the palace of the Persian king Artaxerxes I. Nehemiah had gone back to Jerusalem to oversee Jerusalem's urban renewal project. I have to wonder, now I know Yahweh moved Cyrus, but I have to wonder if he didn't have a little, uh, Nehemiah had a little influence on him, being there, you know, right there with the king, with the emperor, to get his people to go back, go back and rebuild. I just wonder if that ever happened. But anyway, I'm sure it didn't hurt to have, you know, have an Israelite right there. But there was a spiritual reawakening, the scattered, scattered brethren, the remnant coming back from exile. But it was difficult. It wasn't just the work of you know, resetting these massive stones. There was also so much opposition to the rebuilding. The people around them didn't want them back there. They were a pain in the rear end. Israelites had to work literally you know, with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other trying to get this city rebuilt. But they got the walls rebuilt in only 52 days. I mean, that's how eager. When you, when you set your mind to something, man, it gets done. And they got it done really fast, less than two months. When it was finished, Nehemiah's next task was to address the broken-down spiritual condition of the people because they hadn't been you know, with Yahweh how many Years, so much they had forgotten, so much they didn't know. And that task was even bigger. Ezra the priest led the people and their worship back to Yahweh. It was now the first day of the seventh month, the Feast of Trumpets. We'll read it in Nehemiah 8, 1 to 12. I don't have it on screen, but if you got your Bible. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which Yahweh had commanded to Israel. 
And Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Like from, who knows, six, seven o'clock, all the way to noon, kept reading, and they couldn't get enough of it. And those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Imagine that in our day. People in hearing, wanting to hear the law. Well, only Yahweh's people. And Ezra, the scribe, stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, and I'm going to read all these names, because I couldn't pronounce them anyway. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, like in a pulpit, you know, and opened up the book. When he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed Yahweh, the great Elohim, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. Uh, eight, seven, and uh, some more of these men. Uh, anyway, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place, still standing, hours and hours. And they were kind of like sermonizing, explaining the law, what it meant, what Yahweh had that for, and maybe a lot of the history. I don't know what they, but, but they, they wanted to hear more about that law. So they read in the book of the law of Elohim distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the uh, Hershathah, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto the people, This day, the day we're in right now, is holy unto Yahweh your Elohim. Mourn not nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Can you imagine? They didn't weep because... They didn't want to hear the law. They wept because they knew how they had transgressed Yahweh's law. And he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our sovereign. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. Don't think of your past sins. Think of your future and the obedience that you can have now, serving Yahweh without taskmasters beating you on the back. So the Levites stilled all the people. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make mirth because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. This is, this is very moving. It's always moved me when I read this. How they honored Yahweh. They had been away from him and now they realized how important he was. Unless, you know, sometimes... We have to suffer things. Sometimes we, we have to go through things before we realize how much we need Yahweh. And that's what they were going through. Leviticus 23, 23, Yahweh spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath, a memorial, blowing of trumpets, a holy coming together, a convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto Yahweh. Numbers 29.1 says this is a commanded day to assemble, an entire day of blowing trumpets. In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. No work. It's a day of blowing the trumpets unto you. 
Often when something significant occurred in Scripture, or Yahweh wanted to make it significant, you got the trumpet blowing. The battle alarm comes to mind. Yahshua's return is going to be wrapped in battle. Yahshua will fight the rebellious kingdoms of this earth when he wrests control of them and sets up his own government, his own righteous government. Boy, won't that be a great time. The battle alarm comes to mind when he arrests control from the wicked of this world. Notice uh, Numbers 10.7. When the congregation is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but you shall not sound an alarm. So there's a distinct sound there. There's a boo, you know, blowing, and then there's something special. I heard one guy blew at this. He'd blow and then go, dit, 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 you know, boop, 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 boop. Kind of that way. I don't know how it really sounded, but also in the days of your gladness and your solemn days and in the beginning of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings, over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they may be, that they may be to you for memorial before Yahweh. I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Gladness, happy feasts. Yahweh's feasts are happy times, except for serious feasts, maybe like atonement and, of course, uh, the, the day of Passover, solemn feasts, which are Moedim, in the beginning of months. Of course, these are the new moons. The trumpet figured prominently in Yahweh's feast days. Basically, there are three words in the Hebrew from which translators get the word feast and feast. First, there is mishta, 4960 in Strong's. It means simply to eat a meal, to have a banquet. Abraham did a mishta in Genesis 21.8. 21.8, when uh, Isaac was weaned, Queen Vashti made a meal for the women of the house of Esther in 1.9. Samson made a mishta. No spiritual significance, just a meal. Then there is chag, C-H-A-G, with a verbal root chag, which means to observe a festival, make a feast pilgrimage. Isn't that interesting? Implied in that, implied in that feast word means to move, to travel, to go somewhere. A pilgrimage. A pilgrimage. So when we keep Yahweh's feast, we go somewhere. It doesn't work sitting in the backyard in a tent. That's not what the underlying meaning is. That's not what the basic meaning is. Sure, Israel kept the Passover in their homes, but then they had to what? They had to travel to the wilderness, like Yahweh told Moses to tell Pharaoh. Let us keep a feast in the wilderness. So that's what they did. Feast of Unleavened Bread. All of the 28 references to feast in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy are taken from Kog or Kakog. Fest, feast, fest, when... Uh, means a pilgrimage to observe a festival. And so that's what we do. We keep the feast. We go somewhere. It's where Yahweh places his name. We read in Numbers 10.3, the four main times when the trumpet was to be blown, to assemble the people for journeying, as they did when they left Egypt, for war and for the feast. Four times. All four are going to merge when Yahshua comes back. When that great trumpet blows, all four of those things are going to come together at one time. We'll call his people together because we read it's a time appointed that Yahweh has for Yahshua to return. A time appointed. 
He's got it figured out. Yahshua says, nobody knows, not even the angels. Only Yahweh knows when I'm going to be coming back to this earth. Daniel 9, or 8, 19, 11, 27, and 35 all say, the end shall be at the time appointed. Doesn't say season, does it? It says a time appointed, a moed. It's been translated season, like in Leviticus 23, 4, but that's wrong. It's simply wrong. They will be journeying to keep these feasts, to observe a pilgrim feast. To do that, you go where Yahweh puts his name. But more than that, there will be a place of safety to journey to as well. I have to believe, if we're gathered at the feast, tabernacles, trumpets, whatever it is, and Yahshua decides to come back, that's going to be a place of safety where his people can come. There's going to be war when Yahshua subdues the nations of the earth with a double-edged sword, it won't be pretty. Revelation 19, 14. Many don't believe what is plainly written in black and white. They don't believe that their Savior will come back with a sword. Oh, he'll never do that. He's a mighty one of love. He'll never do that. They can't imagine him returning in anger against a sin-filled world. They've been duped to believe that a follower of the Savior must have a backbone of mush or he's not being like Yahshua. If you don't take a firm stand, you know, you stand for nothing. They believe Yahshua taught this. They believe the true Savior of the Bible has been stolen away and replaced by an imposter. And he has. It's the Hollywood JC. He is always shown as a flaxed, girly-haired, effeminate, milk-toast kind of guy who walks around Galilee with a four-long look and uses three fingers of blessing wherever he goes. That's pretty much it. Not realizing he has expectations. You know, they, they say, well, you know, it doesn't matter what religion. They're all, they're all important, you know. No, Yahweh has expectations in his worship. You know, it just... <laughs> If that isn't, you know, there's superficial, then there's not even surface superficial. But that's how a lot of people look at the Bible. They don't get it. Why is there such division in families over the truth? Because Yahshua said there would be. He said, don't be surprised. He said in Luke 12, 51, Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you, nay, but rather division for from henceforth, there shall be five in one house divided. Three against two. Two against three. The father shall be divided against the son. And the son against the father. And the mother against the daughter. And the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. You know, we see this happen all the time. Someone's called to the truth. But he didn't call the whole family. And from then on, they've got a tough walk if they can't show the, convince the rest of the truth. They'll have an opposition, and they'll come to the feast by themselves. We see that all the time. But you know, when you're called, you've got to answer that call. It's your life that you're living. It's your life that you're preparing an eternity for. Nobody else. He said, you're going to answer for your own self, for your own works. Whatever you do, you'll answer according to your works. And you'll be rewarded according to your works. So we have no choice. If he calls us, we have no choice. 
we hear increasingly that Yahshua and the religion he started, which he didn't, he didn't start that religion, is one of tolerance. Is it true? Is sin evil? The evil of sin tolerated by the judge of men and the universe? Or does he come with mandates? Does he come judging behavior by a book of statutes? As any judge does. That will be established in the kingdom. Like Deuteronomy has been said will be the, would be the constitution of the kingdom. All his laws. Does he come that way? You bet he does. Did he fulfill everything like the Sabbath and feast so that we all need, all we need is to have faith? Whatever. He did it all for us. Is that why he went through all of that? Or did he say, follow as I have shown you? Are we just sitting on our gluteus maximuses or did he set the example so that we would do likewise? Well, he showed the disciples and they followed him. They followed the feast days. They followed the Sabbath. They did all these things. Why? And Peter says, you know, it's been 10 years. He hadn't eaten anything common or unclean. Didn't get the message, I guess. No, he was taught that by our Savior and he kept that statute. Well, as Europe and America will soon see tolerance to everyone and everything with a desire to be diversity friendly is preparing both to be overrun like Rome was with the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, and the Vandals when they conquered that empire. You have to have standards. You don't let anything else come in, all these other faiths and just a big mishmash. You're going to have anarchy, you're going to have disorder, you're going to have chaos, nothing else. Matthew 10, 34, he said, he came not to send peace but a sword, and he's going to put down evil by force. And that's what the trumpet is all about. Remember, trumpet announces war. That's one of the things it does. Not just his return, but he's going to come and fight. So put away your feeble and powerless Messiah and start seeing him who he really is and realize that you need to get in line with him. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says he's going to fight his enemies. Revelation 6, 14, the great day of his wrath. Revelation 19, 14, smite the nations. Yahshua has a mandate. We can't change his rules. We can't change his plan. We have to go, go with it and live by it. He's coming to judge this world. Now, who wants to defy him through their sins. Revelation 19.9 speaks of the marriage supper. The companion said this supper is equivalent to a marriage feast. We're going to join, if we're faithful, found worthy, we're going to join Yahshua and be his bride. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife, what? Has made herself ready. She's not just sitting there saying, he did everything for me, nothing I need to do. No, she's made her wife in line with his plan, in line with his family, and made herself ready in that regard. Many don't understand the gravity, the urgency of these prophetic feast days. They don't understand it. The only holidays commanded and sanctioned in the scripture are just as important as any one of the Ten Commandments. Think about it. With their Sabbaths, 
They're all, every one, encapsulated in the fourth commandment because of the Sabbath. You say the fourth commandment, yeah, you're saying the weekly Sabbath, but you're also saying the other Sabbaths too. The Sabbath bound up in his feast days. They're so key in many ways. You know, even some in nominal worship know that feasts like trumpets are central in prophecy because they've read the prophecy, especially when they read Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. We shall be changed from physical to spiritual. So if someone says, I've been born again, you can ask them, well, what's it like to walk through walls? This is a book of worship. And trumpets is a central part of that. It's for those who seek Yahweh in truth. If you just want to dabble in the Old Testament, because it's got some interesting stories about a giant and David and uh, Samson and all these things, because you think it's cool, then Leviticus is not for you. If you're there because you want to follow, you want to understand and you want to get close to Yahweh, Leviticus is about getting serious when it comes to practicing the true faith. If you don't practice your faith, then you're not really that serious. That's just the way it is. I'm sorry, that's the way it is. If you don't practice it, you're not serious about it. So if someone brings you the truth and you sit and argue about it, you, why don't you practice what you believe? You don't even do that. We had a, we had a neighbor. <laughs> uh, we were wanting him. He had a tractor. We didn't have a tractor back then. We wanted him to till our garden. and uh, Sunday keeper. And... Uh, he didn't mind tilling his garden on Sunday, but he wanted to come do it, of course, on the Sabbath. No, we can't do that. He said, you know, I thought that's probably what you're going to say. <laughs> why? I mean, why don't you? If you're worshiping Sunday, if that's your Sabbath, why aren't you keeping it? I don't know why. I don't, I don't understand the, the, the leap that they have to make. It's not that, you know, well, yeah, it is difficult to start living by the word, but you got to do it, you know. But... Uh, if you're just lukewarm Laodicean is all you are if you don't practice your faith. Leviticus 27.34 is the summation of the book of Leviticus. These are the commandments of Yahweh, which Yahweh commanded Israel for the, uh, Moses for the children of Israel, Mount Sinai. So in this book, we find the words Yahweh spoke 36 times. I am Yahweh 21 times. I am Yahweh your Elohim 21 times. I am three times, and I, Yahweh, do twice. Total of 83 times. Who's the focus? Yahweh, not us. We don't matter in the big scheme of things except as his people. That's where we matter. No other book contains so much direct communication from Yahweh as does Leviticus, which includes in the 23, all of the feast days, and a rundown, a detail of each one. Here we find his active presence and his involvement, and that's what he wants. He wants our involvement in our faith, not just hearing, not just listening, but involvement. And that's why we get out involved, involvement looking for the new moon. You know, we, we get out and we look for it because we're to be involved in it. We go out and look for the barley. Well, we don't, but we have people to do. We send them over because we're getting involved in our faith. We're not just following something written down on a calendar. Nehemiah 8, 1. 
All the people assembled. Why? Because this was a feast day. It's significant in that it marks their return to Jerusalem and marks their return to the truth again that they had been away from for so long. We know that Yahshua will also return at that time, a trumpet sound. Now, some say it could be Pentecost, and they've got some valid reasons for that. But you know what? <laughs> to me, it's almost like a no-brainer when it talks about the Feast of Trumpets and that he's going to return with a trumpet and the last trumpet and all that. Um, but, you know, we can't, we can't set, uh, set it in gold or rock or stone because we don't know for sure. But it certainly leads to that. And when we keep his feast days, we're getting in line with his agenda. Those who have no time to obey Yahweh, as he tells them to, won't be interested in Leviticus. They won't be interested in the feast. But those who have an ear to hear, yeah, he's interested in them. And because they've never studied these basic truths and their pastors have never told them the truth, they don't come to know Yahweh as he expects them to, as he is, what he tells us to do. They don't, they're outside that sphere. We often hear that the sacrificial system was abolished and so were the feasts, and they tie the two together. Well, if the sacrifices were abolished, so were the feasts because they, they kept uh, sacrifices on the feasts. No. Well, Neither one is true because we know that he's going to have sacrifices in the millennium again. Um, Zechariah, Ezekiel tells us that it's going to happen again. Seems like nothing that he's given is ever taken away. It's just changed or, as we're talking about circumcision, it's either just changed or it's going to come back again. I, Yahweh, I change not, Malachi tells us. Yahweh's people have a heart to obey him, and they want to do it his way. Anything else doesn't cut it. And, you know, if you're not going to do it right, then why do it at all? Anything else is idolatry, which means it has an element of me in it because I don't want to do that, so I'm going to do it my way. That's idolatry. Anything that comes before Yahweh is idolatry. Paul's objective was not to dispense with the old and create a new. He said in Acts 24, 14 that he believed all things that were written in the law of the prophets. That's Old Testament. He believed all things. He didn't say, oh, um, I now realize that uh, those are unnecessary. No, I, in fact, he even, even completed a vow. It was an Old Testament, you know, the Nazarite vow. Because he showed, look, I don't want you to think that I threw everything out in the Old Testament. I believe in obedience. In Romans 15, 18, he said his goal was to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Indeed. Well, looking in reverse, I'm going to wrap this up here. But looking in reverse from the Old Testament forward to today, we find the same message, same thing. Deuteronomy 4, 29 to 31. But if from thence you shall seek Yahweh your Elohim, you shall find him. If you seek him with all your heart, and with all your soul, when you are in tribulation. Now, this is talking about future. This is a prophecy of Deuteronomy, believe it or not, talking about our day. He said, if you're in tribulation, and all these things are come upon you, even in the latter days, if you turn to Yahweh your Elohim, and shall be obedient unto his voice, for Yahweh is a merciful El, 
He will not forsake you, neither destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which we, he swear unto them. You know, because of his people, he said, those days shall be shortened. The tribulation coming on this earth is going to be awful. We have no clue how bad it's going to get. I don't want to scare people, but I think people need to be aware that uh, we don't know how long. It could be it could be a while yet. It could be decades yet. But you know how fast sometimes things go. We don't know. But it's not going to be a happy time. We have to have our faith in Yahweh. And those poor people, I think of like, it's like the people outside the ark, you know, and they're swimming around and Moses, or Moses, Noah, help us, you know. Help us, help us, help us, you know. We're, we're drowning, we're drowning. That's how it's going to be when Yahshua returns. People are going to be pleading for help. Pleading. I hope he never says to us, I never knew you, you that work iniquity. But if you seek him with all your heart, you're going to find him. And the feasts are all about seeking him with all your heart, taking time off. Uh, you know, sacrificing your time, your job, your education, whatever it takes to be with him. That's, that's what he's looking for. So may our whole hearts and souls be involved in his word by keeping his feast. Begin the final observance of the year with him, the feast of the seventh month. Well, as we traditionally do, if you uh, turn to number six, we have... Uh, the ironic benediction. Those that come to the feast are blessed. Those who keep his feast are blessed, just as they were in Israel. And if it all please stand, we're going to read. I'm not going to do it Randy style in the Hebrew. I haven't studied that far yet. But uh, he says in 623, speak unto uh, Aaron and unto his sons saying, On this wise you shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, Yahweh bless you and keep you. Yahweh make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Yahweh lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Hallelujah. And may we have... Think about the uh, importance of this feast and the ones coming up. Highlight of the year, brethren. If you've never kept them, why not now? You know, Yahweh bless you.